بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome listeners to another episode of the Talking Dean podcast Today we have another bonus episode for you um, but uh, as you can hear uh, it's not your usual host Brother Majid uh, but myself Jahir on the mic Obviously I can't compare to the one and only Majid but uh, inshallah you can still benefit from the episode that I have in store for you today. So today's topic, as you will have seen from the, the title, is about a very sad event that took place against the Ummah uh, 24 years ago to this day, actually on the 11th of July. And that is the Srebrenica massacre, where more than 8,000 of our beloved brothers and sisters of this Ummah were massacred in cold blood, and where many more thousands of our sisters were systematically raped by Serbian forces. However, the blame does not lie just with the Serbs, but even the Western governments, namely Britain, France and America, and even the United Nations, who were complicit in the crimes that occurred against the Muslims of Srebrenica. So what actually happened? What was the background of this event, this sad event that took place against the Ummah? So the Srebrenica genocide occurred on the back of the fall of of communism in 1991, so the fall of the Berlin Wall, which which was symbolised the the fall of the communist ideology, um, that led to the breakup of Yugoslavia, which is uh, the, the the former name for for Serbia. And essentially, Yugoslavia was split into five separate states, following national referendums, and one of those states were was Bosnia and Herzegovina. And this occurred in 1992. So this was recognised by the European community as an independent state. However, the problem that occurred was that within Bosnia, there was a group of Bosnian Serbs who did not accept the referendum results. And in fact, they didn't even take part in the referendum on the basis that they said that the Serb Bosnians had already voted to remain with Yugoslavia. They wanted to remain with the the former communist Yugoslavia. And this group called itself Republika Srpska and claimed to be part of this Yugoslavian state, as I said. Their leader was someone called Radovan Karadzic and the military general was Radko Mladic. And this nationalism of kind of holding on to the Serbian identity is what would lead to the Bosnian war and the subsequent Srebrenica genocide. And even before Srebrenica took place, the army of the Serbs, of the Republika Srpska, they were essentially trying to take territory of Bosnia for themselves. So they were ransacking villages. Many Bosnian villages that were Muslim were being ransacked, the people were being killed, and their homes were being burnt. So even though I am talking about Srebrenica today, That is not to belittle what occurred to the surrounding Muslims uh, in Bosnia. But this essentially led up to what we had, what we know today as the Srebrenica genocide or the Srebrenica massacre. So essentially the the Serbs were getting closer and closer to the enclave of Srebrenica. 
And when they got to Srebrenica between 1992 and 1993, this land was essentially a land under siege. At one point even the Serbs, they gained control of this land. And for several weeks they held this land, until the Bosnians recaptured the land from them in 1993. So this siege mentality or the siege kind of environment was in taking place in Srebrenica, making it very difficult for the Muslims to survive. They had limited access to the food, uh, they had limited access to water and essentially they began, began, began to starve. Um, and all the supplies that were entering into Srebrenica were being cut off by the Serbs. The Serbs had surrounded that land. So it was a very dire and desperate situation for the Muslims. Many of them were dying from kind of starvation and illnesses. So the UN eventually realized that they had to take some sort of action and so, so show some sort of concern for the Muslims. So in April 1993, the UN Security Council passed a resolution and they declared that Srebrenica, along with some other enclaves, uh, five other enclaves, were declared as safe areas. And what they meant by safe areas is that no war could take place within these areas because of the risk of a humanitarian catastrophe. And basically what they were saying is that all the parties agreed that no arm, no, you know, no war would take place and these land, this land of Srebrenica would become demilitarized. So from the face of it, it seemed like, you know, the Muslims would have, would have been saved in the sense that aid could uh, re-enter the land, uh, you know, the Muslims who were starving could get access to water and food and there would be no risk of um, torture and killing by, by the Serbs. So in the face of it, it seemed as though the UN had come to the rescue. However, when it came to demilitarization, essentially only one side followed those rules. So the Bosnian Muslims or the Bosnians, they handed over their weapons to the UN force. Whilst the Serbs actually held on to much of their weaponry, putting the Muslims at an even greater risk. So by early 1995, the situation of the Muslims in Srebrenica became severely worse and even deteriorated to the extent that um, the UN forces even declined. So they had about 600 UN forces there and that dropped to around 400 by this stage. And these UN forces were not kind of heavily armed forces, they were just peace forces. So they were very lightly armed and they were there just as a presence. But what happened is, you know, the Republika Srpska, the Serbian army or the Bosnian Serbian army, they surrounded Srebrenica. And the president, Karadzic, he essentially ordered a directive. And this directive was called Directive 7. And I'll quote for you the actual terminology within this directive. It was um, to complete the physical separation of Srebrenica from Zipa. Zipa was basically a land uh, concurrent to Srebrenica, which the aid was coming through. So what we were, he was saying is to complete the physical separation of Srebrenica from Zipa as soon as possible, pre preventing even communication between individuals in the two enclaves. By planned and well thought out combat operations, create an unbearable situation of total insecurity with no hope of future further survival of life for the inhabitants of Srebrenica. So in simple terms, what he was saying is that 
they would cause a situation or an environment that would be unbearable for the Muslims so much to the extent that even survival there'd be no hope for so essentially in no uncertain terms that he was saying that he was given the directive to his army to for genocide to cause a massacre within Srebrenica so on the 6th of July the Serb offensive against Srebrenica began around 2,000 well-armoured Serbian forces in Mladic's army entered into the enclave and they easily moved moved aside the UN soldiers because these UN soldiers firstly they were low in number and secondly they weren't you know heavily armed there were some Bosnian forces about 6,000 forces however due to the demilitarization that the UN had ordered they had little or no weaponry so again they were easily pushed back by the Serbian forces 2,000 of these Serbian forces easily entered into Srebrenica so just imagine that the situation for the Muslims now that Serbians are in Serbians are in their land ready to commit whatever they want so when the all the opposition were moved aside the men aged uh, you know anyone aged above 12 years old so the the boys and the men were separated from the women and the children and these men and boys essentially were systematically massacred whether it be through swords knives or or even just you know stood in lines and um, with with a gun or with a rifle uh, they were killed and systematically 8000 men between 6th of July to a, to even the 13th of July were in cold blood massacred by the Serbs they essentially went on a rampage killing the Muslims and then torturing and raping the sisters and subhanallah it was it was a dire situation for the sisters that many even commit suicide after seeing what was happening to kind of their their fellow Muslim sisters one of the testimonies stated that the Serbs began at a certain point to take girls and women young women out of the group of refugees they were raped the rapes often took place under the eyes of others and even under the eyes of the children of the mother children of the mother essentially the children were witnessing their own mothers being raped the testimony continues she says a dutch soldier stood by and he simply looked around with a walkman on his head he did not react at all to what was happening it did not happen just before my eyes for i saw that personally but also before the eyes of us all the dutch soldiers walked around everywhere it is impossible that they did not see it subhanallah so the dutch soldiers or the the un forces witnessed this happening but they didn't react they had walkmans in their ears as though it didn't even cause any you know any sort of reaction from these forces in another testimony uh, ramiza gurdjic she said i saw how a pregnant woman was slaughtered there were serbs who stabbed her in the stomach cut her open and took two small children out of her stomach and then beat them to death on the ground i saw this with my own eyes subhanallah and another eyewitness testimony there was a woman with a small baby a few months old a serb soldier told the woman told the mother that the child must stop crying and when the child did not stop crying he snatched the child away and cut its throat then he laughed there was a dutch un soldier 
there he was watching. He did not react at all. So subhanAllah, that's just a few testimonies, very hard and difficult to listen to, of these you know, Serbs massacring and killing the men and raping and torturing our women and even the babies were being killed and you know throats were being slit in front of the eyes of the UN Dutch soldiers or the UN forces but they did nothing they didn't even react or flinch in the late afternoon of 11th of July Mladic was seen making a triumphant walk down down the empty streets of Srebrenica he had committed this atrocity this directive 7 that they were talking about and as I said, many Muslims even commit suicide seeing this dire situation, the situation where they were promised to be protected. They were promised that this was a safe area, but this massacre was happening and no one, no one in the world, not even the UN, who were meant to be the protective forces, did nothing. So what was the aftermath of this genocide? What has happened since? So Radovan Karadzic, the former president of Republika Srpska, he was found guilty on the 24th of March 2016 of genocide, war crimes and crimes against humanity. And he was sentenced to 40 years of imprisonment. His general, Mladic, he was found guilty a year later on, on the 22nd of November of genocide, war crimes and crimes against humanity. And he was sentenced to life imprisonment. But subhanAllah, it took more than 20 years for the Hague to sentence them, even though there was clear-cut resounding evidence against them. And both now in their 70s, when their life has literally come to an almost end, they, they now suffer the sentence of you know, life imprisonment or 40 years. You know, this is a smack in the face of, of the Muslims who, who wanted this kind of closure for what had happened, this massacre that the whole world had seen, but no one was held accountable until today, only two of these uh, these kind of generals, and not to take away from their evilness, they were responsible for what had happened. But it took this long, almost twenty, more than twenty years, when these men were basically on the you know road to death. They were now sentenced. So, like I said, although these men were guilty and evil. We need to ask the question, who else was at fault? Who, who else was to blame? What about the UN who declared this area to be safe and promised protection? Why did they not protect the Muslims when they were there for that reason? What about the Western governments who knew was who they knew what was about to occur six weeks before the event happened, but they let it happen? Blame shouldn't be restricted to the Serbs alone. As part of the tribunal, de declassified cables, exclusive interviews and testimony show that the British, American and French governments, along with the United Nations, were, you know, they knew about this. They were complicit in this genocide. But they, you know, they let, they let the Muslims of Srebrenica to the Serbs to suffer the fate that they had suffered. So let's demonstrate now. You know, how were the West complicit in this massacre? What were the specific reasons that proved beyond doubt that the West knew about this and they allowed it to occur? Number one, this UN declared safe area of Srebrenica was actually abandoned. So as I said, you know, the UN promised 
that this land of Srebrenica would be protected by UN forces and they even sent UN forces to protect this land. The leader of these forces, the French leader, his name was Philippe Morillon, himself stated, you are now under the protection of the UN forces. I will never abandon you. You know, he said this to the Bosnian Muslims. He was there in this camp, in this enclave. He went, he stood up and he made the statement that I will never abandon you. However, this promise of safety was later abandoned by the West. And the reason was that the president of Serbia, Milosevic, he would not agree to peace unless he had a modified map that surrendered the safe areas. Essentially, there was a, there was a map created by some a group called the Contract Group, or Contact Group even. And this group had basically stated that these lands of Srebrenica and some of the other enclaves, they were designated safe areas. But Milosevic, he didn't accept this. And he said that I'm not going to agree to peace unless you surrender these lands. And subhanAllah, the West agreed. So the US National Security Advisor of the time, Antony Lake, agreed and favoured revising the map. France and Britain also agreed. Gerard Bertrand de la Presley, advisor to the President Jacques Chirac, visited Mladic with the following message and he said to him, France clearly understands your concern that you do not want the contact group map. Since last fall, since last autumn in 1994, three amendments to the contact group proposal have been adopted on the initiative of France and Great Britain. The map can change through negotiations. Basically, he had agreed to Milosevic's request of surrendering Srebrenica and the other safe areas. The French general Bernard Janvier, the overall commander of the UN troops on the ground, he told the Security Council member states that the enclaves are indefensible and the status quo untenable. Basically, he admitted at the UN Security Council that we cannot protect Srebrenica no more. This, this land is no longer a safe area that we had promised. Legally, they promised that this land was a safe area. So the West had accepted Milosevic's deal and abandoned Srebrenica as a UN-protected safe area. Number two. This Directive 7 that we spoke about, the permanent removal of the Muslims, was actually known to the Western governments. Karadzic and Madrid's plan to permanently remove the Muslims from Srebrenica, basically what that means is genocide. Karadzic essentially said, we want to create an unbearable situation of total insecurity with no hope of further survival of life for the inhabitants of Srebrenica. Which in no uncertain terms means a massacre. And Mladic even told the Serbian or Bosnian Serb assembly that my concern is to have them vanish com completely. Basically the Muslims to vanish. What does this mean? This means that they are massacred, they are murdered. And Karadzic even pledged blood up to their knees if his army took Srebrenica. So there's countless evidence of these leaders saying that we want to massacre and cause genocide against the Muslims of Srebrenica. And this was known to the Western governments and the UN. They knew about this directive, Directive 7, and the speech of Mladic and Kradzic. On the same day, on the 8th of March 1995, Mladic even met a British general, Rupert Smith, who was actually the leader of the UN peacekeepers for the UK. And according to Smith's military advisor, Lieutenant Colonel James Baxter, Mladic took out a map in front of Rupert Smith 
and he drew a scratch over each of the enclaves, including Srebrenica. So he was symbolizing to the British that these lands are, are gone, essentially, they're, they're going to be massacred and taken over by the Serbs. The former Dutch Defence Minister Joris Vurhove, he insisted that the Western leaders were fully aware of this order, this directive, but the, his troops were kept in the dark. He said, to quote, the intelligence service of, services of at least two of the five permanent member states of the UN Security Council knew already at the beginning of June 1995, a month and a half before the attack, that the Serbs intended to capture in the coming weeks the three encla eastern enclaves meaning Srebrenica, Zipa and Gorazde. So he's saying that these intelligence services knew. And the Observer, the UK-based news agency, has independently verified that the two countries that knew were the US and the UK. On the 6th of July, Mladic prepared and ordered his tanks to advance into Srebrenica. And two days later, the UN military observer reported the Bosnian Serb army is now in a position to overrun the enclave. Since the UN response has been almost non-existent, they will continue until they achieve their aims. SubhanAllah, so all of this is out in the open. They knew of what was about to occur and they did nothing. Even the Bosnian leadership of Sarajevo, they told the UN that genocide against the civilian population of Srebrenica may occur, but the UN did not decide to evacuate the land. The population chose to remain under the false perception that the UN would under legally binding obligations that would protect them. But they were not protected obviously and a massacre occurred against them. This evidence proves beyond doubt, my brothers and sisters, that the UN, the UK and the US were aware of the Serbian plans to commit genocide but they did nothing to stop it. Number three. The NATO airstrikes against Serbia secretly halted. So throughout the Bosnian war, what NATO were doing, they were um, you know, commit, you know, having airstrikes against the Serbs. They were dropping bombs against the Serbs to stop the advancement um, of the Serbian soldiers in the Bosnian war. But what had happened is in retaliation to these NATO airstrikes, the Serbs had taken 400 UN troops as hostage. And President Clinton, Jack Chirac and John Major they realized the situation of these UN troops being taken hostage and they had a telephone discussion. And part of that discussion was the possibility of halting the UN airstrikes and so bringing it to a, a stop. But this was a secret conversation. It wasn't meant to be made public. So the next day, according to declassified US National Security Archives, they basically decided to suspend the use of NATO airstrikes against the Serbs for the foreseeable future. So the West were fully aware of the expected consequences if they stopped these airstrikes and they decided not to publicly declare it. So Antony Lake in a memo to the President, he outlined the need for secrecy. He said, privately we will accept a pause on further airstrikes but make no public statement to that effect. So if this, in, if this was so innocent, you know, if these airstrikes being halted was not a problem, they would have publicly um, announced it. But because they knew what it meant for the Muslims, they knew that if they had stopped these NATO airstrikes, there'd be uproar, they decided to make it secret. And they stopped the airstrikes and allowed the Serbs to enter Srebrenica. 
Number four, the UN troops actually watched the separation of the men and boys from the women and the children. The Dutch UN soldiers watched Mladic separate and his troops to separate the men and boys, which, which were, you know, the boys that were above 12 years old on one hand and then put the women and young children on another hand. And the UN's envoy, someone called Akashi, he sent a cable saying, to quote, the Bosnian Serb army is likely to separate the military aged men from the rest of the population. An eventuality about which the UN pro for will be able to do very little. Akashi and the UN were fully aware of what this meant. They knew that this meant that the boys and the men would be massacred and the women would be basically raped in front of their children. But they didn't respond in the slightest. Number five. The UN, subhanAllah, even provided 30,000 litres of petrol to the Serbians, which would, you know, would, would be used for the genocide. So according to General Anvo van der Wind of the Dutch military defence, or de defence ministry even, he said that the UN provided 30,000 litres of petrol to the Serbs following UN approval which was used to fuel the transport of men and boys to the killing fields and fuel bulldozers to plough the 8,000 corpses into mass graves. So I'm quoting this. This is not me making an insinuation. This is a quote from uh, the D Dutch Defence Ministry. So the UN themselves, they actually provided the petrol, the fuel for this genocide to occur. Number six, the US CIA operatives actually watched the massacre occur live but they didn't react not only did the west ignore the massacre whilst it occurred they actually watched live images of it occurring so de declassified us cables highlighted on the 13th of july two days after the genocide began that the us cia operatives watched almost live satellite images of the massacre from a base in vienna spy planes hovered above bosnia showing according to one cable, that standing men held by armed guard and then later in pictures showing them lying on the fields dead. So they saw it happen. They, they were watching live images of the massacre occurring. A senior State Department official insisted that all US partners were immediately informed, yet the slaughter of the Muslim men and the raping of the Muslim women was allowed to occur. So they, they even informed the kind of higher, higher people in the US, but no one did anything. There was literally no attempt made by the US to intercede and limit the scale of the atrocity. They just watched the genocide occur from live images in Vienna. And finally, number seven. After the event had occurred, you know, the genocide had taken place, they had the audacity, the US had the audacity to say that ethnic cleansing was not a priority. Toby Garty, the US Assistant Secretary of State for Intelligence, told the US Ambassador Samantha Power, and to quote, Ethnic cleansing was not a priority of our policy. When you make an original decision, you are not going to respond. Then I'm not sorry, these things are going to happen. So they're basically saying this is collateral. We promised not to do anything, or we didn't, you know, there was no deal for us to take part. So this wasn't a priority for us ethnic cleansing was just part of the process and even the UN hold no remorse 
for what occurred and the, you know any regret that they may hold even hold today is a mere rhetoric the then UN Secretary General uh, Boutros, Boutros Ghali told the BBC on 11th of July when the massacre was happening or when it started we have been humiliated and duped we will have to live with it but in several days it will be long belong to the past so they're basically saying it's happened we accept it we've got a few regrets but it will eventually be part of the past you know you make you ask the question whether they treat the holocaust in the same way the way they treat Srebrenica and in these quotes you can see that they hold no regrets no remorse for what had happened and even their involvement in it but basically it was practice it was part of process so what I'm saying is that not only are the Serbs to be blamed and they are to be blamed they directly you know committed the atrocity against the Muslims but the Western governments also need to be held accountable for this the US the UK France even the United Nations need to be held accountable for what had happened they even described Srebrenica as the greatest genocide since World War II and they were involved in this all of these governments so we should never forget of what occurred against the Muslims of Srebrenica but rather than mere despair and sorrow for the Muslims which we should have we should also learn the essential lessons from this dark episode in the history of the Ummah and the first one to really highlight is that the non-Muslims will never accept us the Bosnian Muslims were by and large white Europeans they looked like the Serbs they looked like the Christians there you couldn't really tell them apart most of them weren't even practicing they merely carried certain names that may have had some Islamic inference remember communism had just fallen and Bosnia was under communist rule for around 40 to 50 years and under communism religion is banned so even if you were a practicing Muslim you'd have to hide it which eventually would mean that Islam would become weaker and weaker in each passing generation so this isn't a criticism of them all I'm saying is the reality is that they were not by and large practicing Muslims they were like one of them even still the Muslims were not accepted as Allah says and never will the Jews and Christians approve of you until you follow their religion so only till you literally abandon everything of Islam even the name only then may maybe they will accept you and this should be a lesson to us that only when we leave our Islam in, in its entirety will they accept us meaning they will never accept us and subhanallah recent kind of examples show that even after that they still because of your past link with Islam they will still cause animal, hold some sort of animosity towards you take the example of Sajid Javid not being invited to Trump's uh, meal in the UK why was this was a race this is racist in the sense that because he was Muslim he carried a Muslim name he wasn't invited and everyone else was invited even those he held animosity for were invited take the example of Malala Yousafzai who has actively used her position to promote Western values and human rights yet recently the Quebec Education Minister of Canada said that she can only teach in Quebec if she removes the headscarf and subhanallah it's not even the hijab what she wears is basically a cloth on her head 
not really a hijab in the Islamic sense, but because it symbolizes apparently some sort of Islam, it is unacceptable to the West. So recognize, brothers and sisters, that the Muslims, the non-Muslims even, will never accept us until we abandon everything. The second lesson to take is that we should not take the non-believers as our protectors. Allah, as Allah tells us, despite the reliance and hope the Muslim Bosnians placed on the UN, what did they receive in return? As I said, Marillion himself assured the Muslims, I will never abandon you. He said this to them. There's, there's evidence, there's proof of him saying this in his speech. But he abandoned them. They were abandoned and they were set for massacre. The UN, the Western governments, handed the Muslims to the Serbs on a plate. They even, the wit they even witnessed the crimes happening before their eyes, but they didn't flinch. The UN forces were there to protect the Bosnians from the Serbs. But there's footage of them drink drinking, dancing with the Serbs. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu la tattakidhu ayyahuda wa nasara awliya ba'adduhum wa awliya u ba'ad O you who have believed do not take the Jews and the Christians as allies they are in fact allies of one another How true is this statement from Allah? The UN forces they were they were in you know they were with the Serbs in essence, they watched it happen and they didn't flinch. They kind of allowed it to happen. And these Western institutions such as the UN, whether it be kind of IMF, whether it be NATO, whether it be all these institutions that they claim are there for the international protection, they are not here to aid the Muslims. They are only here to aid the West and preserve their dominance in the world. How many UN resolutions have we seen for Palestine? But Israel continues to commit their crimes and the US continues to support them. We should recognize that Srebrenica is only one of many crimes against the Ummah. More Muslims have been subject to massacre since this and even before this. Whether it be the Muslims of Srebrenica and Shatila, Kashmir, Burma, Iraq, Afghanistan, Abu Ghraib, the Uyghur Muslims, Syria, Yemen, subhanAllah the list goes on. How many more massacres have to take place before we stand up and realize that what is actually taking place against this Ummah and how do we resolve it? When will we sincerely ask ourselves, what is the real solution to these problems? The Messenger of Allah said, Only the Imam is a shield behind whom you fight and protect yourselves with. But today, we, unfortunately, we have no Imam. And during the time of Khalif, Mu'tasim Billah, a Muslim woman was dishonored in the Roman lands. And when this happened, the Muslim sister, she called out Wa Mu'tasim and the Romans laughed at her they said do you think this caliph of yours this leader of yours is going to listen to you when he's thousands of miles away do you think he's going to come here in his black and white horse to come and save you but subhanallah the news reached the caliph and he when he heard the dishonor of, of this one sister he called a huge army to respond to this crime that had taken place against the sister subhanallah and he sent an army, an army that was so long that, uh, you know, basically it, it, it was such a huge army that um, he, it, it didn't end. And, you know, when it reached the land of the Romans in Byzantine, it could still be seen from the Muslim lands. 
And this, this army defeated the Roman army just for the sake of this one call of, of the sister. And one thing to note is this sister wasn't killed. She was dishonored. And this was the response of the Imam, the Kharif. Now think of the countless sisters of Bosnia who were not just dishonored, they were killed, they were raped, they were tortured. Where is our response? Where is the response that should we should have? And who are the real aggressors and the terrorists? They label Muslims the terrorists. But who are the real terrorists? They literally walked into Srebrenica under the watch of the UN and in a few days created a bloodbath of Muslims akin to the massacres committed by their forefathers during the Crusades. And the truth is the Crusades never ended. They are still taking place and they are still here to seek to destroy the Muslims and Islam. Western secularism has killed 87.5 million in the last century according to their numbers, according to what they say. So how can they label us, the Muslims, as terrorists when Western states have committed this level of murder and massacre on a state level, not individuals, but entire states such as the US? The UN sent a peace force to Bosnia. But what peace did they provide? They actually created a situation for genocide. And Allah is right when he says, وَإِذَا كِيلَ لَهُمْ لَا بِالْعَرْضِ قَالُوا إِنَّمَا نَحْنُ مُسْلِحُونَ And when it is said to them, do not cause corruption on the earth, they say, we are but peacemakers. SubhanAllah, they are not peacemakers. They are those who corrupt. They are the ones who commit massacre and they are the real terrorists. SubhanAllah, we are one body and we can never ever forget what occurred in Srebrenica. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, told us that we are like one body. When one body, part of the one, one part of the body feels pain, the whole body reacts and you know obtains a fever. The Muslims of Bosnia may have been white Europeans who may not have been the most religious, but they are still our brothers and sisters, and we all belong to the same Ummah of Muhammad. The West attempt to dispose the Srebrenica genocide to the ash heaps of history. The, but the Muslims, we should never forget what occurred in Srebrenica in July 1995. We should remember what the Serbs did, but we should also remember how the West were complicit in this crime. But as I said, rather than feeling mere sorrow, let us take lessons from this event and look to the Quran and Sunnah on how we should avoid such calamities from occurring once again. I pray that you have all benefited from this episode. Please do share with others and please share this message. Please share this podcast so that others can benefit from this event and take lessons from this event. أقول قولي هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم ولسائر المسلمين فاستغفروه إنه هو الغفور الرحيم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته